Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we've been in this for a couple of weeks now, and, and uh, we're going to continue here in Mark today. We'll start in verse number 29, Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about a day in the life of the servant, or a day in the life of the Savior, rather. Mark chapter 1, verse number 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon, who's, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Father God, I pray for this, this passage, this message that you would guide and direct. Fill me with your spirit, Father. Forgive me for anything that would stand in the way of, of preaching today. I pray that you would just uh, help me to say exactly what I should and nothing I should not. And uh, just use this time. Lord, give us all ears to hear. This is your word. It is not the word of a, of a person. It is not the word of, of a religion or a denomination. It is your word. And so I pray today that as we study it and think about it and make some points from it, that you will truly apply it to our hearts. Change us. Make us what we ought to be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the workplace, there is from time to time the need to train somebody new. Those of you who work in various secular positions know that's the case. And, and you know that there's various methods that sometimes come into play when we're, when we're doing that. We might, we might take that person that's being trained and uh, pile a bunch of manuals up in front of them and say, you need to go off and read all of this. Or we might sit them down in front of a a television set or something and make them watch a whole bunch of uh, DVDs and and training videos or something like that. We might send them off to training classes. That's that's one. Or we might just say, follow me around. We might just say, sit next to me and watch what I do. Oftentimes that's referred to as shadowing. Shadowing another person to learn their job. Wouldn't it be something to shadow Jesus for a day? I think that would be fascinating. And I think we get a little of that in this particular passage here today because we glimpse segments here of an entire 24-hour period in the life of the Savior, a day in the life of the Savior. And I think as we shadow him on that day, we're going to see some things. We're going to see, for example, some things about how uh, we do spend our days. We're going to see some some, uh, uh, things that are the same as the way we spend our days. I think we're also going to see some things about how we ought to be spending our days. But above all that, I hope that one thing that we'll see as we, uh, as we kind of follow him around is a sense of purpose like no other. Because as we go through this, I think what we're going to see is that Jesus, every part of his day was guided and infused and filled and directed by his purpose. 
And he tells us what that is. Our text is verse number 38. He said unto them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. That was my, that's his purpose. That's his purpose. His purpose was to proclaim his message, and everything else he did was to advance that. So let's follow Jesus around a little bit for a day. Let's start where our text started, which is in the afternoon. In the afternoon. Verse number 29, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Now, those of you who have gone to Israel with us have seen this house. Do you remember this house? Judy, you remember this house? It's very plain, and it's one of those places in Israel where uh, they are absolutely as positive as it is possible to be when you're looking at an archaeological find, absolutely certain that that is indeed the house of Peter. And so we stood in the synagogue. The synagogue has been torn down and rebuilt, so we're on the spot, not necessarily standing on the exact stones, but we stood there. We walked out of that synagogue, just as Jesus did in this passage, and walked over to that house, which is maybe, I don't know, 50 yards away, and looked in there at exactly where this took place. Now, there are several reasons to believe that this is the events that took place in these verses took place in the afternoon. We saw in the verses immediately preceding, Jesus was attending synagogue services. And we know that the synagogue service is now over and he has left. We know that the main Sabbath meal was customarily served at the sixth hour. And since the Jewish day began at six o'clock, that would have put that at 12 noon, uh, our 12 noon. And besides that, we get to verse number 32. It seems to be describing time immediately after the events that we're talking about here. And it says it's, it's, it's evening then. So somewhere between the synagogue service and evening is what we're talking about here. I think it's pretty clear that we're talking about the afternoon period uh, on this particular day. So we get to shadow Jesus in the afternoon, the afternoon of a, of a Sabbath day. And I wonder what we'll see. I wonder what he did. How did he spend his afternoon? Well, one of the things that we notice, first of all, I mean, and, and I may be reading in between the lines here a little bit. I don't know. I hope I'm not too much. But uh, I think one of the things we would see is Jesus engaging in fellowship with his friends and his disciples and his followers. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. He had preached. We read about that in the, in the previous passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Uh, he was probably tired from that. Most people would never believe this. Most people would never accept this. Most people will be inwardly laughing as I say it. But preaching is hard work. Matter of fact, I have read, and I think this is probably true, that preaching one sermon, just the act of preaching the sermon, is equivalent in effort to an eight-hour workday. Now, I've preached a lot of sermons, and I don't think that really feels like that to me anymore. I think I've gotten used to it enough that I don't feel like I've worked an eight-hour day. But I'll tell you this, when I get home on a Sunday, there's nothing else I want but my chair. There's nothing else I want but to sit down and rest. It, it, it is work to preach. And Jesus has just done that. He has labored in preaching, and he's returning from the services in the synagogue. And what do we see him doing? He's entering into a time, I think, of just fellowship. Let's go over there to the house. Let's sit out for a few minutes, and let's have a little time of fellowship. He had worked. And now I think he was resting. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Fellowship was vital to the purpose of Christ. And I think it's vital to you and I. I think a lot of Christians think that's an optional component. But I, I don't believe it is. I don't think that the Bible teaches us that Christians should think of 
uh, spending time with other Christians, not, not, not in church, not in worship, not in prayer, just in fellowship, just being together with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Fun stuff. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that's optional. The Bible teaches that that is a necessary component of our Christian experience. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 42, they continued steadfastly in four things, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Look where, it's, where, look where it's slotted in there. It's not an optional thing. It's something that we should be involved in. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Maybe, maybe you are unaware of this. If so, let me help you. Friendship Bible Church has a few opportunities for fellowship. Uh, we, we, we actually like getting together, and we like doing things. We have these things called campfire fellowships. We had one with uh, Matt and Laura the other day that was just absolutely wonderful. And we have a couple more of those coming up, opportunities for the whole church to just get together. And there's no preaching. There's no singing. There's none of that stuff. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of eating. There might be fishing. There might be horseback riding. There might be all kinds of things that we just do together. Sometimes we pitch horseshoes. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just fellowship. It's a chance for us to get together. This is a good thing. And I think this is part of the Christian experience. We ought to be spending time with one another. And there's other examples as well. And we have men's ministries here, golf, motorcycle rides. We have ladies. The ladies are masters of this. They have so many opportunities for fellowship that it makes us guys jealous. But we have all kinds of opportunities. The teens have opportunities for that, and it's important. So I think Jesus' afternoon included, at least a component of it, included fellowship. I believe his time, and I'm, maybe I'm reading between the lines. I don't know, but I think it's there. Uh, I think his time with Simon and Andrew and James and John there in 29 uh, included some of that. I think it also went beyond that, though. I think it would also be described not just as fellowship, but also as discipleship. And by that, I mean it went beyond just spending time in fun and relaxation, as with everything that Jesus did. And we're, we're seeing here that everything about his day was steeped in his purpose. As with everything that he did, uh, there was an instructional component to it. So I can imagine Jesus sitting down in the easy chair and looking across the room. And it wasn't just talking, you know, about football games and things like that. He was also discipling and instructing and teaching and encouraging those who were there. Discipleship. You see, Jesus preached publicly. That was part of his, part of his ministry, and we've already seen that started. We saw that last time in the, uh, his time in the synagogue. And preaching publicly is certainly a part of Christian ministry. It always has been. It always will be until Jesus comes. His disciples would do it. Peter preached publicly. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, preached a, a large message publicly. Paul preached publicly on many occasions. The early church preached publicly. There are reams and reams and reams of books that have that are filled with the preaching of the early church fathers. And we do it today, and we'll continue to do it until Jesus comes. It's important. The Bible says, Till I come, give attention to reading and to exhortation, that's preaching, and to doctrine. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And so it's vital. But Jesus didn't stop there. When he left the synagogue, he didn't stop. He continued. He spent time individually with his disciples, one-on-one, across the table, just as we should. You know, I think we need to be busy in those areas as well. The Great Commission says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is important. The elders, when we meet, we meet on the first Sunday of the month normally. And whenever we meet, this is something we're oftentimes thinking about and praying about. We think through the, you know, the, the areas of the church that are strong and the areas of the church that 
you know, we think we need to pray about. When we think about these things that Jesus did on an afternoon, well, we we certainly, I don't recall a time where we've ever thought we needed more fellowship. I've thought, I think we always have thought we're okay there. And we try to be strong in the preaching area. But you know what, this discipleship area, we're always talking about that one. And it's been one of our goals for a while to see that improved. And so maybe, you know, maybe you'll pray with us about that. Or maybe if you think the Lord's leading you to help in that area, you'll stop and let us know about it. So there's Jesus afternoon. And before we, before we leave it and we follow him into the evening hours, I want you to notice one last thing that, uh, that kind of marks what he did in the afternoon. He did something else here. He visited someone in need. He heard a report that somebody was sick or hurting or in need. Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told, her, told him about her at once, and so he came. Simon's wife's mother. Now, some of you have been told that Simon didn't have a wife. Some of you have been told that as the first pope, he didn't have, he wasn't any of that. But here is Simon's wife's mother. Very plain. Some people have said, why would he have ever had a mother-in-law if he didn't have a wife? Well, plainly he had a wife. And both of them are mentioned right there. He had a wife and he had a mother-in-law. But the point I want you to see here today is that he helped her. He healed her. He met her need and he visited with her. You know, you can't read the New Testament without realizing that nobody cared for hurting people like Jesus. Uh, and here he is in the afternoon. He's tired. He's been through all this. And here's somebody in need. And what does Jesus do? He's there. Just like so many other places in the Bible. He loved the lost, rich, young ruler. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. Looking at him, he loved him. He had compassion on the leper. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing to be cleansed. He wept over his good friend Lazarus. Jesus wept, John said, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And so hurting people were everywhere. Here he walks into the house, here's a hurting person right there. And Jesus was always quick to help, no matter the time of day. Well, so that's the afternoon. Let's follow Jesus now into the evening and see what we can learn from him there. Verse number 32, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, whereas we had to do a little bit of gymnastics to figure out that the previous was in the afternoon, it doesn't specifically say the afternoon. We had to apply some, some thought to that. Uh, there's no question where we are here, right? I mean, he plainly states here that it is evening uh, when the sun had set, verse number 32. So we know exactly where we are here. The Sabbath day ended at 6 o'clock, or more actually, according to the law, the Sabbath day ended uh, when the sun had set and they could see three stars in the sky. That's how they defined uh, sunset. And so this is evening. Mark is being very clear here to teach us or to tell us exactly what time we're talking about. And so we're following Jesus on into the evening hours. And what are we going to see there? What are we going to learn from him there? Well, I think primarily we're going to see him working. We're going to see him busy. We're going to see him choosing miracles rather than rest. We already mentioned the fact that he probably came back from the synagogue service tired. Now we're into the evening. There's been even more activity to take up his time. I don't know about you. But, you know, when I get home of an evening, I must confess to a certain motivational difficulty. I, I really don't want anything except my chair. I really don't want to do anything except rest. 
the day's over. The work day's over. I want to sit. I want to veg. Evening time is to many of us. The end of the work day. The time to unwind. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. Jesus used his time differently. He worked. People began coming to him seeking help here and healing, and he got right to work doing just that. You know, one thing is certain. You cannot look at the New Testament without seeing it. Jesus was not lazy. And here he started healing people, and that time of healing went right on into the night. Verse 32, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. That word brought there literally means they kept bringing. It indicates a steady stream of people coming to that house. And I think about that house in my mind as I picture it, having seen the ruins of it. And I can just imagine all around that area, people just kept bringing a steady stream of people. And that phrase, the whole city was gathered together at the door in verse number 33, that paints a picture of a tremendous crowd. It must have seemed like everybody, everybody in town was there. And how many of them did Jesus heal? Did he pick and choose from the crowd? Just the ones who maybe he he thought he could get to stagger up out of their wheelchairs and totter across the platform and pretend like they were healed? Is that the ones he picked? No. Notice what it says here. He healed many who were sick of various diseases and cast out many demons and did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. That phrase, healed many, actually is an idiom that means every single one that came. We don't necessarily see that in our English, but it is there in the original language. And so he healed every single one that came. So get the picture in your mind. Here's this steady stream of people, seemingly everyone who is in town coming to the house, those who were sick or injured or unwhole in some way are brought to Jesus, and he healed them, all of them, every single one of them. That's what that phrase, he healed many, means. So the first thing we see as we shadow Jesus into the evening hours is his busyness, his choosing work over rest, miracles rather than rest. We see something else. We see also that he chose silence rather than testimony. Verse 34, this sounds like uh, maybe deja vu if we think back to the previous message, but he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. We've seen that before. I'm sure there was a lot of testimony filling the air that night, don't you think? I imagine Simon's wife's mother was running around as she was serving everybody, saying, feel my forehead, feel my forehead. I had a fever, and it's gone. I can imagine there was others who were running around saying, you know what, I had to be carried into this place, and look at me, I'm walking out. I had a snotty nose when I came in here, and look at me, my sinuses are clear. I don't know what it would have been, but I'm sure there was testimony filling the air that night. But there was one particular testimony that Jesus did not want. He commanded this one group to be silent. We saw it before in the synagogue in verse 25. The demons tried to speak up and tell everybody who he was. And he said, be quiet. Silence. Don't want that. He didn't need the testimony of demons. And his work would not be advanced by evil as we saw before. Well, Mark doesn't tell us how late into the evening this occurred, but wouldn't you think that based on that number, the, the, the size and the scope that seems to be described there, that this would have gone on for a while? It must have extended well into the late evening, maybe even the night. But then came the morning, the morning. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Morning. It came early. Having risen a long while before daylight, that's early. 
If we were shadowing the Savior, we would no doubt feel we had barely gotten to sleep before we were wiping the sleep from our eyes and listening to him get up and head out down the hall to start his day. See, Jesus, like so many successful and accomplished people, was an early riser. Jacob was an early riser. I read in the Old Testament that Jacob rose early in the morning. Hannah and Elkanah, the parents of Samuel, were early risers. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. King Hezekiah was an early riser. He rose early and gathered the rulers of the city. Job was an early riser. So it was on the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings. King David the psalmist was an early riser. Awake, my glory, awake, lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. And Jesus was an early riser in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. But he didn't just get up early because he liked coffee. You know, I like mornings. Morning is one of my favorite times. I like to get up, and I oftentimes do get up early, and uh, make myself a cup of coffee and sit there and read. The house is quiet. I like that. I like that time. It's just a good time for me. That's not why Jesus got up early. Jesus didn't rise early just because he liked Folgers. He got up early because prayer was more important than sleep. The psalmist believed similarly. He said, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Jesus was the same way. For him, prayer was a reason to rise early, and prayer was more important than sleep. Jesus always prayed when important decisions needed to be made. Before choosing the twelve, he prayed all night. Of course, we know that at the Garden of Gethsemane, when facing the cross, he prayed... uh, Tremendous prayer. And here early in the days of his early ministry, we find that habit being demonstrated. Early in the morning, he's starting the day with prayer. Where there's a lesson we could learn, isn't it? Prayer is worth getting out of bed for. Many of us need to learn that. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So many promises about prayer. And Jesus shows us that it's worth getting out of bed for. In this particular case, prayer brought decision. We see that in verse number 38. It was his decision to move on now and to continue on in other places and preach the gospel and share the good news there. We'll see that in coming days. So we've been privileged to shadow Jesus. We've seen a a day in the life of the Savior. We've seen him in the synagogue service. We followed him across the street away to Simon's home where we spent the afternoon and the evening with him there. And then we're awakened the next morning to the sound of him getting up and going out before the sun is even up to spend the pre-dawn hours in prayer. If we had actually been able to shadow Jesus through that day, we we would have no doubt seen and heard him learned and experienced many wonderful things. But I want you to notice one overarching thing. We mentioned it in the introduction, but I want you to see it here. Everything about this day revolved around something. It revolved around his primary purpose. He stated it first in verse 38, as we said. He said to them, let us go into the next town so that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. There was good news to be proclaimed. That's why he had come, and he had come to tell about it. Notice how every part of this day uh, can be seen pointing to that purpose. In the afternoon, fellowship with his disciples gave opportunity to spread the message informally to them. Time spent in discipleship with them gave opportunity for one-on-one instruction in that message. Healing Peter's mother-in-law served to demonstrate and authenticate that message. 
And so it was, it was all part of his afternoon. In the evening, every healing, every casting out of demons demonstrated and authenticated that message. His command for silence demonstrated how seriously he took that message. And then finally the next morning, his early start demonstrated how committed he was to that purpose. And his prayer sought guidance in completing it. How precious for us to get a glimpse into just a 24-hour period in the life of the Savior. And how wonderful to see how he spent a 24-hour period. I don't know about you, but this thrills me to think about it. But that one great truth leaps out at us after we study that day. Jesus' life was guided day and night by his mission, by his purpose, by his cause, which was to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And everything else he did was simply to advance that cause. So I wonder this morning, perhaps you'll hear this morning and you're an unbeliever, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I wonder, I wonder today if you've heard that message that was the driving force between us, everything he did on this day and every day. Priscilla Owens wrote about that way back in 1882 when she said, I, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Have you heard those tidings? Have you heard that news? Everything about this day, every other day in the life of the Savior also revolved around that purpose. We saw it first back in, in verses 14 and 15 a couple weeks ago when Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was the message. That was the purpose. And so have you heard that? Good news? Unbeliever? Are you one who has never yet repented and believed that gospel? You can do that today. You can do it right where you sit. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing. You can do it right there standing. You can step out and come and let everybody know that you want to, you want to tell the world that you're a Christian, that you believe, that you need to do it. And then also I have to ask about the believers here, whether or not you've heard and been reminded of just how single-minded the Savior's focus was on that day and whether that speaks to your heart as it does to mine about how single-minded our focus ought to be. So many things fill my time. So many things take up my day. 99% of them are junk. And probably you're just the same way. Here we see a glimpse into the day in the life of the Savior. Every minute, every minute was steeped in his purpose, the gospel. And all how we need to learn and be dedicated to that same message as Christ was. May it be so with all of us. He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth.